Good afternoon, everyone. This is Don Fox on the Weekend Report with uh, special guest Bill Fink. Um, this is the fourth and probably final show in our uh, brief series on the uh, the end times here. Uh, last week we were discussing um, the time of Jacob's trouble, um, where Satan, you know, the, the Jew went into the pit, and then uh, when he was coming out of the pit, uh, you know, around the time of the French Revolution. So uh, uh, with that, we'll uh, uh, let Bill Fink uh, pick it up from there. Hello, Don. Thank you for having me. Praise hey, God. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming back and uh, doing such a, a bang-up job on these shows. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm only trying. It's hard to, um, off the cuff, after the program, after the last program, when we were completed it and and I'm, I'm kicked back having a beer an hour later and my head's racing and I should have gone here, I should have gone there. It would have been cool to describe this or that. You just can't do it all in, in an unplanned podcast. You could sit down and, and carefully plan out over a week's time what you're going to say if I was presenting all of these things all at once and, and have 14 type pages and an hour and a half talk. Right, and and that's for my, my my regular podcast. There's plenty of that at Christagenia. That's what I do every week with scripture and history and prophecy. So it, it's here as we discussed before the program. It's best that um we just have a conversation and and give a general sketch of these things and get people who are interested who who want to know more to go examine the details and the proofs of these things, which we do have and, and at, at websites such as mine. At yeah, yeah, I guess that was kind of my purpose was this was kind of a dual, dual purpose was, you know, one, you know, I just wanted in my own mind to do some shows on this because it's a topic I've looked at for a long time. And two, it was probably more to promote you and, and get your stuff out, maybe more to, my audience and maybe some new people. Well, well, I appreciate it because I would swear that, that there can only be one truth in the world. I, I don't have it all. I don't know everything. Believe me, nobody does. And and the more you know, the, the, the more you realize that you can't know everything, the depth of things. But there's only one truth in the world, and Christian identity represents that truth. Now, there's a lot of different people that call themselves Christian identity that are on different pages here and there with certain doctrines and certain scriptures. But identity Christians that understand that the Jews are Satan collectively, they are the Antichrist, and that the people of Europe did indeed descend from the 12 tribes of the ancient Israelites, along with a, a um, general smattering of the other Genesis 10 nations, which were all white to begin with, and can all be accurately located in history and archaeology. Once you understand that general truth, you understand that there's no other truth, that this is it, that this explains not only why our ancestors cl- clung to these Bibles for so long, but why our ancestors had turned to paganism, why we've had all these all these wars, why we have had a certain alien group among us 
who has been very successful at coming to rule over us and undermine and subvert our societies at every turn. And, and Christian identity is the only thing that explains all that, makes perfect sense of it, and identifies all of the appropriate parties by their true nature. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's that's a that's a huge uh, key to understanding is, you know, who are these various groups, and more importantly, what motivates them? Right. You know, what what motivates Jews? Okay, so okay, if you know, say you're just regular Joe Blow out there. Well, okay, so if Jews really do want to kill all the white people and, and eliminate us from history and genocide us, what motivates them to do that? You know, I, you know, the average Joe Blow out there is thinking, well, hey, I would never do anything like that. And, yeah, in fact, you wouldn't do it, and probably nobody you know would ever do it. Absolutely. When, when, um, when whites accumulate wealth, they have generally done so to the benefit of their kindred and their communities. When Jews accumulate wealth, they purposely use that wealth to rule over other communities and alien peoples. And, and, and that's, the, the Jews are basically Satan. And it's very clear in scripture, the Jews collectively are Satan. When, um, when Paul of Tarsus in Romans chapter 16 wrote to the Romans that God, the God of peace, would crush Satan under your feet shortly, he wasn't talking about some spiritual demon. He was talking about those Jew bastards in Jerusalem. They were Satan. They were crushed 13 years after Paul wrote that. Because they are collectively Satan. So, so that's... um. Basically, where we were in, in, I think, um, part three of this series is when Satan came out of the pit. That represents the emancipation of the Jews in Europe. But let me um, just explain how the scripture kind of works. And this can be proven beyond doubt with a deep study but I can only offer a general sketch here. In Hebrew literature, which is the Bible, and even the New Testament, even though it was written in Greek, it's written in Greek by people that were, for the most part, excepting Luke, they were native Hebrew speakers, well-versed in Hebrew Old Testament literature, even if their model for Hebrew Old Testament literature was the Greek Septuagint, which they did quote verbatim Greek word for word very often. So that must have been the source for at least much of their biblical understanding was um, Greek manuscripts and not Hebrew. But the style of the literature is still Hebrew. And in Hebrew literature, there's a device called parallelism where the same thing is being described with different terms consecutively. So you'll see a phrase in a sentence, and then another phrase, and both phrases describe the same entity two different ways. 
Or you could see two sentences consecutive in a lot of the prophecies. And both sentences describe the same thing two different ways. And you could see two chapters, entire chapters in the prophets, which weren't originally chapters. They were originally um, pericopes or segments where you see... Um, the same thing described two different ways. We're in Ezekiel chapters, um, I believe it's 26 and 27 or 27 and 28 in Ezekiel, describes the Prince of Tyrus. It gives a lamentation of the Prince of Tyrus and then the King of Tyrus or vice versa. And that's a Hebrew parallelism. Both of those segments are actually addressing the same Entity. Well, you have the same thing in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 are actually describing a great invasion of the hordes of Gog and Magog into the land of unwalled villages, which are also described as the mountains of Israel. Now, this isn't having anything to do with Palestine. It has to do with the areas of the white nations, because the white nations are the real 12 tribes of the children of Israel. They are the real, actual, physical people of the Old Testament in new homes that they migrated to between 1500 B.C., and 500 A.D. And, and then, of course, with European colonization later, they branched out even further. So, Ezekiel chapter 38 describes this invasion. And Ezekiel chapter 39 describes the invasion. The invasion described in Ezekiel chapter 39 is not an extension of 38. It's, it's a repeat of elements of the same picture drawn in 38 with slightly different terms. Now, in the Revelation, in chapters, um, I, I had already posited last week that the Revelation up to chapter 12 was a prophecy of history from the time of John the Apostle to the Reformation. And all of the details are in my book, Christrike. And in chapter 13, is sort of like, I call it an umbrella chapter, but it's sort of like a parallelism where it describes all of the history all the way back to the beginning of the time when these world empires ruled over men until the, um, the, the papacy in the period of the popes ruling over men. They are the two beasts of the Revelation chapter 13. The first being the world empires up to the Roman, and the second being the papacy, which lasted for about 1,200 years. And then with Revelation chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, what you have is a description, and, and you have seven vials and, and seven trumpets and seven vials being poured over men. And the vials describe terrible things happening to men. And 
those things are not to be taken literally. They are allegories which describe the state of our people today. Just like the three unclean frogs are spirits, they're not to be taken literally. A spirit is an, an idea. It's a belief system, an idea. It's a, um, a concept, and it's described as a spirit. <coughs> Even though there are other uses of the word spirit. They're not three boogeymen floating around. And once you understand that Revelation chapter 12 takes, up to, takes us up to the revelation and the prophecies concerning the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah and, and other things which we had mentioned from the Old Testament prophets, the time where Satan comes out of the pit and the description of world circumstances in Revelation chapters 16 and 17 agree very much with the time of the French Revolution and the emancipation of the Jews. And Revelation chapter 17 describes that as a time when the children of God, the people of the Christian nations, turn their kingdom over to the beast. Where And it describes other things, such as seven world empires, and then the eighth, which would be of the seven. And, and that, too, can be equated to this world central banking system. So they turn their kingdom over to the beast. And then Revelation chapter 18 describes the fall of Babylon. Babylon, mystery Babylon, has facets which are political and social and religious. And if you understand the ancient pagan religions of Mesopotamia and contrast them to the pop culture of modern times, and not only pop culture, but if you understand that the commercial laws of modern times actually came from the Jewish Shitar in the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. So that's two, that's two elements right there. The pop culture is social and the, the commercial law comes from ancient Babylon and the political. The first, and, and I could show this and it's described on my site. And, and in Christreich, I could show this from ancient inscriptions. The first records of democracy. And the ancient Greeks understood that democracy was just a way to manipulate people and, and to subvert societies. The first records of democracy are also found in ancient Sumer, in ancient Babylonia. This mystery Babylon describes basically what we see manifested in the Protocols of Zion, how Satan was going to subvert the Christian world. That's why when you get to Revelation chapter 18 in the fall of Babylon, it's described in commercial terms. Mystery Babylon is the global trading system. The other elements of Mystery Babylon, the religious, because ancient paganism was multicultural and it was sex-based, it was phallus worship, it was fertility worship.
all of the ancient Baal worship, Ishtar, all of the ancient Greek cults had this element of phallus worship, Bacchus, what was um, basically lasciviousness and and and, and sex and <laughs> profligacy. It, it's um, all based around this for these fertility cults. That's what Baal worship was. They would actually have sex on the altars in the ancient pagan temples. The priests would have their genitals worshipped in the ancient pagan temples. Herodotus describes this. Tertullian describes this. These things are, are well known from ancient history and inscriptions. It's nothing novel. That's what the Baal worship was all about. In fact, Hosea chapter 5 describes the race mixing which occurred in the Baal temples because it was multicultural. All comers were invited. So that that's just the tip of the iceberg. But the political aspect and the commercial aspects are also traceable back to ancient Babylonia. So it really is. This system that we live by today, this idea of democracy, this global usury system, which when the English, and, and this is documented at Christogenia also, when the English started to allow the Jews to... um practice usury in England, the Jews needed laws to protect their property. The English didn't deal with usury. They didn't deal with currency and, and, and compound interest and all of these things. They didn't have laws that governed commercial transactions. Society in the feudal period was based on barter. You make wooden chairs, I raise sheep. I need three wooden chairs, I bring you a sheep. You give me three chairs. Everybody's happy. And people pay their taxes in kind. Meaning that if you had to pay 20% of your increase to the local lord of the manor, and 20% of your increase came out to three dozen chickens and four steer and three cow and two sheep, that's what you brought him. <laughs> you didn't exchange that for cash and give him cash. So the Jews started loaning money at usury, and they needed laws to protect their property. And when the kings decided that it was time to give the Jews laws to protect the Jews, the Jews pulled the shitar out of their briefcases. The shitar is the commercial law code from the Babylonian Talmud. And the shitar is what, basically, is what the English commercial law of today was originally founded on. So our system today is indeed mystery Babylon. There's no doubt about it when you examine these things in history. It, it can be hard, it could hardly be questioned that these things aren't true. So, in Revelation chapter 20, you had the fall of Babylon, this commercial, mercantile, world globalist um, system that's controlled by this world bankers and, and these rich, wealthy Jewish banking families. That's Mystery Babylon. When it falls, 
Then we have war. And in Revelation 19... Yeah, right there, I was going to say that that's a point. I want to just interject something real quick. I think, I think that is key. I think right there, because this is the financial system, Mystery Babylon, that, and all the, all the perversion that comes with it. So when that, when that crashes, you know, what, what, what is that going to really mean? Um, well, it means everyone's going to be basically a pauper overnight. So what happens next? You know, this well, is where the Mad Max oh, type right. scenario might come in. People are going to have to get tribal in order to survive. And, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'd like to get into Revelation sure. 20 real quick. In, in sure. Revelation 19, we see Christ on a white horse and all of his saints destroying all of his enemies. And the parties of the Bible have to be identified properly in order to figure that out. But the clue, the biggest clue, is in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 is another umbrella chapter. It's a parallelism. It, it doesn't follow everything that happened before. It describes it again in a sort of a different way. And we have Satan, the international Jew gathering all of these hordes of Gog and Magog, who were more specifically listed in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And when we see the list in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, these people do not exist in their original state today. They've all been race mixed. But all of these people are from countries in Africa or in the Arab world. All of them. Now, the hordes of Gog and Magog gather all of these people in Ezekiel 38 and 39 against the mountains of Israel. In Revelation chapter 20, it's describing the same thing that 38 and 39 in Ezekiel describe. The, that Satan goes out and gathers up Gog and Magog and all of these other nations against the camp of the saints. And this is a description of exactly what's going on today. And, and it's been a process over a couple hundred years, but it's going on today. It's coming to, we hope it's coming to a climax. We hope it doesn't get a whole lot worse than it is. But we have all of these people from these Arab countries, from these African countries, and these other places in the world gathered against the children of Israel or the camp of the saints who are the white race. We have this immigration problem that we have today and which is growing daily. We have it described right in our Bibles. That's the climax of the scripture when that happens. So that's what we await is Babylon to fall so that the saints of Christ can go clean up this mess. Yeah, and this is this is huge because this is exactly what we're seeing. All these people from Africa and Asia, you know, Syria, you know, all these Syrian refugees are really from Pakistan and uh, Iraq right. and right. Africa. They're all gathering in basically in Turkey, and which you know a lot of people put on the map put that as Magog. And from there, they're flooding into Europe, which is true Israel. Absolutely. 
So we're, we're seeing something that was written thousands of years ago. It's now unfolding right in front of our face. But you don't understand it unless you understand the very ancient history, which proves that today's Europeans actually did come from the ancient Middle East, which at one time was all white. Yeah, it, it hasn't been white for a long time, so nobody in modern America or Europe ever thinks of the Middle East as being white. You know, it's Arabs, Turks, Jews. Egypt lost, Egypt and Ethiopia lost their, their, um, whiteness. And they were bringing in Nubian slaves all the way back to the time of Abraham. Don't get me wrong. The pharaohs in, in the 15, 1600s BC had harems at the borders of Nubia that consisted of Nubian women. The white pharaohs used to fly south for the winter and 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 consort with the Nubian women. Basically, I'm just making light of it. But that's what happened. And by yeah, the time also, the, yeah, um, I was going to say, also, this is also the Kalergi plan. Right. By the you time know, of it, Hebrew prophets, by the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Egypt and Ethiopia were both overrun with Nubians. Now, Egypt recovered for a little while, but by the 5th century B.C., it was no longer a world power. And the Egypt of um, of the times of the Caesars was not an Egyptian Egypt. It was a Macedonian Egypt. The Macedonians invaded Egypt, moved in in large numbers, and pushed the Egyptian natives out of the way and mimicked Egypt, ancient Egyptian culture. It would be like if a bunch of white people went to Cleveland right now and, and tried to reinstitute it as a white city and, and move the niggers out of the way. It, it's basically the same thing that happened in Egypt with the Macedonians, with the Ptolemies. And that happened from the 3rd century. But... All of these lands, in ancient times, Egypt was absolutely white. All of this Afrocentric idea is absolute, it, it's, it's ridiculously childish view of history. The Nubians, there were blacks, there were black pharaohs for 75 years. After they invaded and overran Egypt, probably in the middle of the 7th century B.C., but yeah, and a, yeah, original this is, Egyptian society was what? Yeah, the yeah the the overrunning of ancient Egypt that is their template for what's going on today, and th this is what it says in the Kalergi plan. I'll just read this for people that aren't familiar with it. Um, in practical idealism, uh, Kudinov Kalergi states, "The man of the future will be of mixed race. The races and classes of today will gradually disappear due to the elimination." of space, time, and prejudice. The Eurasian Negroid race of the future, similar in appearance to ancient Egyptians, will rep replace the diversity of uh, peoples and the diversity of individuals. Instead of destroying European Judaism, Europe, against her will, refined and educated this people, driving them into their future status as a leading nation through this artificial evolutionary process. Right, and... Kalergi, 
that was Richard Kuttenhold clergy that had written yep. that. And he was half Japanese. He had a Japanese mother. So he was a bastard. He was a rich bastard who wanted to form Europe in his own image. But he was actually a... Um, that There was a an organization, I forget the exact name of it, an organization in the 1920s that he helped found that had wanted to unite Europe along Marxist socialist terms. Yeah, yeah, here you go. It's uh, Richard Kudenhoff Kalergi was a Jewish writer financed by Jewish bankers. In 1922, yes. he founded the Pan-European Movement, whose goal right. was to create a federation of European nations to be led by the United States of America. And that's what I'm talking about. And Adolf Hitler was the antithesis to that. And when he destroyed Hitler, it took a couple of years, but they ultimately formed the European Union. Now, that pan-European association of Kudenhove Kalergi is still in operation today. And it's not part of the European Union, but they are very pro-European Union. And the European Union, even though it's a separately founded organization, was founded by the same Jewish bankers. And they couldn't be so brazen, I think, to take Kalergi's organization and make it into the European Union. So they had to found something else that was new to make it look like a new idea, but it's the same old Marxist idea from the 1920s. Yeah, uh, among uh, Kudenov Kalergi's first supporters was the Jewish banker Max Warburg, who, do, who, do, uh, who donated 60,000 marks to this evil racial cause. And it was his then, brother, Felix Wahlberg, who was the first chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve. I just had to throw that in. Oh, yeah, yeah. In 1925, he wrote the book Practical Idealism, which has become the uh, Bible for multiculturalists and supporters of the European Union. He didn't appear in public much, but he moved behind the scenes with his project for European integration and the creation of a new mixed-race slave, a race to serve a Jewish master race. This is the basis for the new world order. Absolutely. And that's what you don't hear on Alex Jones. And that is Satan gathering all of these nations against the camp of the saints. And where Satan gathers these nations against the camp of the saints, it's talking about when you compare the language of Revelation chapter 20 to the language of Ezekiel chapter 18, yet, you know, Ezekiel pictures it as a military invasion, but if you really read it closely, he's talking about them coming into all of our nations under the cover of a cloud, coming into, I'm sorry, the land of unwalled villages, which are the mountains of Israel. But that has to be the same camp of the saints of the Revelation, which are the Christian nations, not Jews. Christ is not talking about Jews. He's talking about Christians. And... Ezekiel describes them coming in, coming in under the cover of a cloud, coming in surreptitiously upon the mountains of Israel, and devouring everything they could devour. And that describes what's going on today. These pe- white people who think that 
that these Arabs are coming in to assimilate and be like us, who are not awake yet to the fact that the Arabs are really coming in to establish colonies of conquest, like they have in Detroit, like they have in in, in Sweden, in Berlin. We have these no-go zones in France. They're all over France. No-go no go zones where the French police can't even go in and, and where they have no respect at all for the German law, for the French law, for the American law, for the Swedish law. They want to establish Sharia law, and Sharia law is just plain evil, and we could talk about that too. Sharia law is evil from the ground up. It's not about law at all. Well, these are all colonies which are devouring our substance. You, you know, Chinatown in New York City, more Chinese get knocked over for credit card scams and identity theft. They're draining the American system, and they're doing it purposely, and it's organized, and only the tip of the iceberg ever gets busted and put in jail for it. These other races that are in American or European cities have a culture that the greater culture's law enforcement cannot penetrate, and they really are devouring our nations and our substance. You have these um, Muslim imam perverts who have eight wives, and they're all on food stamps, and he's been in your country 30 years and never worked a day in his life. He's one of these people in this great army who are sent here to devour our substance. In the prophet Joel, the same prophecy is basically given in different terms, and it talks about the canker worms and the locusts and the palmer worms and the caterpillars being sent into the into the fields of the nation to devour everything. Well, the canker worms and the palmer worms and the caterpillars and the locusts of Joel are Negroes and Arabs and Chinamen and and, and Mexicans. That's what they are. And. Yeah, they've come here. Um, you don't even have to, you know, the time was you had to be an American citizen to actually get welfare benefits. Well, that time is long past. I mean, every, every damn near every Mexican that crosses the border uh, and gets full. Right. And, and it benefits. is Satan. It is the Jews in Washington, that, the, the liberal progressives, that have made all of those policies so that the other races can just walk in and devour our substance. Same yeah, they've been hard. They've been hard at work at that for, well, I mean, overtly for fifty years in the United States. Yeah, but this has been their plan from the get-go. They had to lay a groundwork first. They had to break down. They had to break down the patriarchy first, which they did very effectively through women's liberation. And as soon as Woodrow Wilson got in. The, the Jews had a heyday. They, they had women's lib, the graduated income tax, the Federal Reserve, the First World War, the Balfour Declaration, Palestine, Zionism came into its fruition. They, Woodrow Wilson was the greatest American president for the Jews, next to Franklin Roosevelt. <laughs> but they have conduct, been able to push their policies forward through every single American president since 1913. After 1913, they 
assassinated Huey Long, they assassinated JFK, any resistance they had, they've assassinated successfully and have run their, that their jewelry is the world's oldest crime ring. They've run their scam uninhibited for over 100 years now. So at, at this point, it's going to be a matter of time until they have devoured everything. And then what? Okay, well then. Well, Babylon right, has to fall at some point. Yep, because that's, the that's what I that's what I was alluding to. Because okay, right now everyone thinks, hey, we'll all get along fine. There's not going to be a race war, is there? Well, how could there be? Well, when when they've devoured everything, and you know the Jews' financial tricks can't keep the system floating anymore. Eventually, at some point, the music is going to stop. And then the EBT cards are going to get cut off. And you, I've already seen some of this. Uh, if, you know, it's not widely publicized, but if you, it's on YouTube even. There's local, it's more local where they, they test it where, oh, the cards didn't work for eight days. There was a glitch. Right. And, and they get turned on again. And they, I think they want to see how long it's going to take for the whole thing to start coming down once it starts going down. Oh, right. It's it's a week. It's a week or less because there's only – in fact, Detroit doesn't have any supermarkets. They've already all left town. But the average supermarkets in the average American city only have three days' worth of food for its regular shoppers. And, yep. and they keep turning that over and turning it over with the trucks coming down the, down the interstate. But – once the trucks stop coming down the interstate, in three days, people are going to start panicking over food with no savings of, uh, in their pantries and no way to produce their own. And they're going to devour each other. Yeah, it, it's yeah, – this is what's coming. So now it, when we talk about a race war, is it going to be, uh, you know, some white supremacist getting on TV and say, hey, it's time to go uh, – Butcher all the all the niggers. No, no, That's absolutely not. not. Play out. No, once the um, the the world globalist system falls, all you have to rely on is local resources. We're back in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yep. That's how it's going to be. It's, it, there's going to be a massive breakdown, and then you have to stick together with your kind just to survive. I mean, our computers might work to a point. The internet might might work to a point, but with the supply chains broken, what with the, the the global monetary system failed, we are going to have to rely on local ingenuity once again. And you know, the only reason that whites don't see a coming race war as this. They are blinded by the ideals of those three un unclean frogs, liberty, fraternity, and equality. They are force-fed, they are spoon-fed that every day by the media, every day in the public school systems, the universities. These ideals of liberty, equality, and fraternity are shoved down their throats. You are raised on it, and you believe it. It's the new religion. It's ancient paganism, but it's the new religion for modern times. It fits hand in hand with globalism, with pop culture, with, with Jewish commercialism. It all fits like a glove, 
every tentacle of Mystery Babylon complements the others. And you believe that all people are equal until all of that disappears. And there is no more global commercial system. And people are going to learn to get tribal real quick. But right now, people are... That their minds are deluded with these false doctrines of, of the Jewish world system, and they're pacified by professional sports and, and movies and other entertainments, and their reality is totally out of touch with true reality. That they, that they don't, they're living in a fantasy world. They're spending plastic, they're consumed in entertainments, nothing that they have to go to work, most of them, for 40 hours a week somewhere, but nothing they do is really real. None of it. Yeah, it's all, it's all phony baloney. Um, it's, there's no substance. I mean, there's a certain amount of substance out there, but it, it's so few and far between. Most jobs are make-work jobs. Um, all of these churches are IRS 501c3 yep. churches. They go to the, the churches have to agree with the IRS not to teach anything about race, not to oppose abortion, not to oppose the government, not to talk about politics. Some pastors in local churches get away with certain things here and there, but basically their agreement with the IRS, if they want to keep their tax-deductible status, is to not talk about any of that. So the, even the, the the mainstream churches are teaching a watered-down, lovey-dovey, hippie, Jesus-loves-everybody version of Christianity, which is absolutely untrue and fully accommodates Jewish world supremacy and, and mystery Babylon. That's the key. It, it's telling people what they want to hear, and it, it makes it palatable. Um, because what the scripture really lays out is pretty bleak. You know, um, being, you know, like even, even like, uh, I was just tooling through the, the Bible here, like even Psalm, uh, uh, 118, 11 here. They compass me about, yeah, they compass me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Right. Psalm 118 goes hand in hand with Ezekiel 39 and Revelation chapter 19. All nations have compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. And that's, that's yep. a type for Christ and the camp of the saints scenario and what we see in Revelation chapter 19. Yeah, they compass me about like bees. They are quenched at the fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Right. And there's other scriptures, too, that, that, that um, go hand in hand with the camp of the saints scenario. It, it's um, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11 is one of them. And if people, you know, if you want to identify who true Israel is, if you want to think it's the Jews, then Satan is God and we're all screwed. That Because Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11 says, For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, or saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full 
end of all nations where I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Is this talking about Jews? Do Jews accept that their punishment, do they really think that they're going to be humbled by their Messiah? No, the Jews believe that they're going to be exalted by their Messiah, and everybody else is going to be a slave. But the Hebrew Scripture does not teach that. The Hebrew, te- the Hebrew Scripture teaches that wherever the children of Israel are scattered, those nations would meet their full end. Because only the children of Israel were promised salvation. Once you understand that it's talking about the white race as it stood in 600 B.C., that Jeremiah is talking about white people, that the ancient Israelites were white, a great number of them were already, a thousand years before Jeremiah's time, were already spread into Europe and, and the northern coasts of Africa and even beyond there then you'll realize that the Jew is the Satan who is gathering these enemies of God against the children of Israel, and they're all going to be destroyed. Yeah, as it says here, yeah, in uh, Revelation 20, um, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. Right. And that's been a process that's been unfolding since the emancipation of the Jews. Since the Jews were able to get control of our political process, they have been engineering a scenario where they can mix all the nations up and overrun the white nations with all of these aliens and affect all of the desires that they express in the Protocols of Zion and in the Talmud against Christians. Yeah, yeah, the protocols. Uh, Christian youth destroyed. You know, that's one of the one of the sections. Right, and 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 that should prove beyond all doubt. Yet, you know, there, there is um, nothing in the protocols which hasn't been affected in one way or another in in our society the last hundred years. The Jews that wrote the protocols knew that they were now in a position to do these things, and that was the middle of the 18th century. They express a whole lot of things that were being said in the secret societies of the 19th century, and that's how we know that they're legitimate. And and there are a lot of proofs concerning that on Christogenia as well. But the protocols are indeed, and, and the Kalergi plan is like a, a modern academic version of some of the material in the protocols. It's nothing new. There's nothing under the sun that's new. In in fact, if you want to read the Kalergi plan, there's a book. The the book called The Melting Pot was actually the um, the time that the word was coined. The term melting pot was coined by a Jew that wrote a play called The Melting Pot that first played on Broadway in 1911. 
and that was a um, a play that was um, trumpeting race mixing between Negroes and whites, and and that's another expression of the clergy plan in a Broadway drama, which was actually about a dozen or so years before the founding of the Pan-European Association. So, this is, um, this plan, it, it's not just one Jew or, or two Jews that have, um, that can be cited in order to show that Satan plans to lead all these other nations against Christendom, which is the camp of the saints. It's a hundred Jews, a hundred Jews that were in important places that can be shown to be affecting parts of this plan or promoting this plan. It's not just one or two. Yeah, that that also kind of begs the question. Uh, it comes up. So is there some force uh, behind these Jews? Some I, I, I don't get, you know, a lot of people um, attribute too much to invisible boogeymen. I don't. I mean, I understand there's an invisible God, and I don't deny the existence of spirits. But the Jews do what they do naturally. It's or is, it just, or is it just DNA? Is it just programmed right. into it's, them? It, yeah. It's programmed into them. They do it naturally. It's the... It's in God's permissive will to punish his people to repentance and to show his power and glory when all of these non-whites and these Jews are destroyed. There is a Holocaust coming. There is no doubt. In the end of the book, at the end of the prophecy, we win. Whites win. There's no doubt. But the question is, how bad does it get for whites before they realize that they must repent and return to their God and do his will? And I'm not saying that Christianity is in church or that Christianity is being a little goody two-shoes. No. There's a lot more to Christianity than that. And real Christians are not religious. Religion is bullshit. I am not religious. I do not go to church, put ashes on my forehead, wear pretty clothes, and pray, and kiss everybody's ass on Sunday. No. Real Christianity is in loving your fellow white man and devoting your life to doing things to enrich and edify your white family, kindred, and community. That's real Christianity. Real Christianity has never been practiced. And when enough of our people, even if they don't realize it, come to the understanding, even if they don't realize Christian identity or why they should do it, if they come to the understanding that they have to start living for their fellow white man, rather than for their own belly or their own genitals and, and their own enjoyment, when they start to realize they have to start living for their fellow white man and abstaining from all of the idolatry which is being fed to us by the Jews on our television, in, in sports, in movies, and, and then we could start to 
think about, or, or, or then we could start to be described as being repentant. And that's what the Bible promises. When enough of my people are repentant, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal, heal their land. It's not going to happen until then. How much punishment do we need? That's another story. Because as long as we are partying with the devil, we are going to be punished. And this is the biggest problem. These, that these, that the average patriotard, we like to call them patriotards, right? Or the average Judeotard, the Judaized Christians. And, and the, those two labels describe a people that, for the most part, overlap. They don't even know they're being punished. You know, they're working all week. They're paying um, half of their incomes in direct or hidden taxes. Half of your income. If you make 50000 a year, you're paying half of your income in either direct or hidden taxes right now. And the half that's left can buy less and less and less every year. So mothers have to work, kids have to work, everybody has to have a job for the family, for the average family to just squeak by. There's all kinds of forms of enslavement in student loan debt, credit card debt, auto loan debt, mortgage debt, and it's probably true that half of what you got left pays the interest on usury so or debt. So... These people think they're free, and they're all slaves. Yeah, they, oh, I've got all this freedom. Yeah, no, you don't. You're a debt slave like anyone else. And you see, eventually, see what all this usury and all this debt, though. What what is it really going to? Um, it props up this system to whereby the minorities can live here. And I mean, how much does it cost every year to to imprison all these blacks? Uh, the police forces required to keep them from overrunning everything, um, and how much do we have to to uh, bribe them with food stamps and you know various other programs, you know, to keep them from rioting? Because that's really what where the money goes. It it goes to keep the peace. It keeps them from rioting. That's so, um. Whenever man, and I've described this before, whenever man wants to defy nature. He has to build huge systems in order to support his overcoming nature, right? So let's say we want to be able to um, fly across the world anytime we want. We can't just build a plane. We need airports. We need runways. The airports need highways. We need air traffic controller systems. We need all of this infrastructure so that we could defy nature and fly across the world regularly. And that's a huge system that's built to support that air travel. And, and, and it's, well, when you think of everything that goes into it, 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 it's really, um, a monstrosity. And everything we do, if you want to cross a river, you need to build a huge bridge. And, and then you need a $10 zillion construction project so that you can defy nature and avoid use of a ferry or something that, you know, we're going around to afford. And it's the same thing when you want to force two 
diverse groups of people to live together. Nations, a homogenous nation does not need a huge police force. It does not need all kinds of um, draconian, tyrannical laws to force people to live together peacefully. People that are homogenous live together peacefully very easily because they usually have a common bond in race and blood and history and religion and an appreciation for each other, which prevents them from killing each other. Now, this is true of whites, without a doubt. It's not true of blacks, because blacks cannot be homogenous. They're all race mixed. They're from different tribes in Africa. They have different degrees of white, Jewish, and and, and whatever else blood in them. And, and blacks can't be homogenous, and they don't have a, an ability to live in peace with each other, even when they are. And, and there's all sorts of documentary proof on that, right on the Discovery Channel. But aside from that, when you have a homogenous white nation, look at the crime rates before the integration period, before the immigration period. Look at the crime rates in Germany, Italy, Sweden. Look at the crime rates in the United States before forced integration and before the FBI started putting Hispanics, Jews, Arabs, and, and who knows what else in the category as white. Whites commit very little, relatively, very little crime and extremely little violent crime. Yeah, there are some white criminals, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, whites don't need huge police forces and, and militarized local governments in order to make them live peaceably with one another. But as soon as you define nature and try to integrate society with multiple races, you have to build a huge infrastructure in order to successfully define nature. Nations that are multiracial always become tyrannies. That's what empires are, tyrannies. A nation properly come the, the word nation comes from the Latin word natio and and the word natus, which is birth. A people of a nation have a common birth, history, origin. As soon as you add people of a different race or nation, you don't have a nation anymore. You have an empire. America has been an empire since the Civil War. It was an empire of a sorts before that, but most of the Negroes were slaves. They weren't citizens. But as soon as they were made citizens, America became an empire, not a nation. And empires need rule of force to coerce people of diverse ethnicities into living together peaceably. It's natural. It's a natural state. There's no getting around it. So as soon as so, you have an empire, you require a police state. You require it. Yeah, look at the militarization of these police forces. You know, the SWAT units. It's like, well, what do you need tanks for? Well, when you see these, when you see it start to break down, okay, so, you know, we talked about the derivatives crisis, uh, you know, in the last show. And, you know, if it's not that, it'll be something else. But the way I see it is eventually what I've heard is, okay, the before the recession in 2007, I heard one economist estimate 
everything on the planet, the whole GDP of the planet was about $66 trillion. And then the, the big recession hit, and they said perhaps half of the wealth on the planet was destroyed in 2008. So after that, it was like they estimated $33 trillion. Well, these two big-to-fail banks, every one of them has over $40 trillion in derivatives. And when one of those banks goes, that's the whole the whole system is going to going to collapse. Well, we would hope it's it's some sort of house of cards to bring it down fast. Whenever Mystery Babylon falls, it's supposed to fall fast. It's supposed to fall in in a day, right? It, it's or in an hour. It, it's not supposed to be a gradual thing. The Bible portrays it as a as a pretty quick thing. Yeah. The yeah the. The secrets of Esau will be laid bare. Jewish power will will evaporate almost overnight. The earth will give up her dead, meaning that all of this Holocaust that supposedly happened, it never happened. But there's a whole lot of Holocausts that have happened in history, in recent history, that people aren't informed about. And and any most historians can be informed about most of them. It, it, I mean, the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War was inspired by the Jesuits and 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 in the Catholic Church, and and the Catholics wanted to reassert control over the lost territory. This is why the Pope is the second beast, right? And half of Germany was wiped out. Half of, a third of Germans were destroyed in the Thirty Years' War, which was basically a war of the Pope's against the German people. Look at the Holodomor. Well, um, the Jew has been after the German people for a long, long time. Absolutely. And after Hitler went down, you know, it got real ugly for the Germans. And um, right. that's more, really more where this, this, this flood, you know, and I guess another term for all this invasion, is you know, the flood of the serpent also describes this same event. Absolutely. That that's the, the flood of the serpent. It is in a slightly earlier context, but you know the Jews were bringing Arabs and Turks against Christendom for almost a thousand years, trying to destroy Christendom from the outside because they weren't in a position to that they were in the they, they were in the pit they were locked in the pit they were not in a position to enter the camp of the saints and subvert it from the inside that they couldn't rule over christians for that thousand year period so they were trying to bring the arabs and and, and the the moors and the turks from the outside to destroy christians islam is a jewish creation Islam was created by Jews in order to militarize the Arabs and lead them to destroy Christendom, specifically the Byzantine Empire, but also the Gothic Empire in um in, in Spain, the Gothic nation in Spain, and and that they eventually wanted to subsume all of Europe with Arabs if it weren't for the Christian Charles Martel, because the pagan Saxons were looting the Franks on the east, while the Christian Charles Martel was repelling the Arabs on the west. He was repelling the Moors on the west. So... After the Moors were repelled and pushed back into Spain, 
Charles Martel and his descendants, um, his grandson was Charlemagne, had to turn their um, attention to the pagan Saxons and force them to Christianity to get them to stop looting and pillaging and destroying their fellow white neighbors. So, that that's um, what we've... The pagans have always worked against us with the Jews, and and there's history replete that that history is replete of examples of that. Today, neo pagans are tools for the Jews, and all throughout its history, Islam has also been a tool for the Jews. This psalm, if you read about the and and I covered this at Christagenia recently. In, in my Jews in Europe series, when the Jews were driven out of Christian Spain, they went to Islamic Turkey. And they went to Turkey without any problem and were accepted by the Ottomans with no problem where they started to encourage the Ottomans more vehemently to attack Christian cities like the... um the, the Venetians and, and the Franks and, and the Italians and the other people that the Ottomans had long been at war with. The Jews were encouraging them to pick that up because the Jews wanted to destroy Christendom. And if they can't infiltrate and subvert it, they've always tried to destroy it from without. There's 2,000 years of history on this that these Judeo-Christians in today's churches in America are absolutely blind to. And today, with the advent of mass media, mass book publishing, Christianity has been entirely subverted by the Jews. And Christians, these church-going Christians, worship Satan instead of Jesus. They do worship the Jew. That's, yes, they do. I mean, you know, they, they, they watch their Talmud vision, um, or some of us call it, you know, the electric Jew, or the... Right. <laughs> <laughs> the talking rabbi, the electric Jew. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, the TV in most houses it occupies a hallowed space. It's like an altar. It is. It, it's an altar um, in each house. Yes, it's an is. altar, and what what comes in through that thing? Okay, it's it's all Jewish. Okay, all the networks are owned by Jews. Sex. Yeah. Illicit sex, homosexual sex, race mixing sex, sports idolatry, which elevates the beast in society and gets people to worship him. It, it's these Judeo Christians crack me up. That they um that they spend an hour in church on Sunday, then they spend ten hours watching niggers run up and down up and down a field with a ball, and they do that for twenty years. And then when their daughter brings home one of their heroes, they protest. They're offended that their daughter's with a black guy, but they can't do anything about it because. Their daughter thinks they're doing good because their daughter has watched them worship these beasts on TV for 20 years. How do they say no? Yeah, they can't be all that bad. Um, they're 
<laughs> right. You know, they're, they're highly trained. They've dedicated their lives to this more or less meaningless game. To and playing a game. Yeah. And, and, that, and whether they're good at that or not is also highly arguable. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Um, well, well, yeah. There's, um, there's actually a guy in Las Vegas that has a site called Cast Football. And he uses statistics. I mean, it's still idolatry, right? But, yeah. but he uses statistics to prove, and he's pretty convincing, that white athletes are discriminated against from high school to college and from college to the pros in favor of blacks that don't perform as well overall. You, know, you can still have a white football team that, uh, that plays pretty well. Um, you can have white wide receivers. I mean, the Green Bay Packers have them. Um, you know, white tight ends, white quarterbacks. Right, but uh, they're, they're, they're in a minority. They've been purposely yep. elevating Negroes in sports for, for 60, 70 years now. Purposely. I mean, I used to play running back. And, you know, I did that for a year. I, I You don't see many white running backs anymore. There's a few. Generally fullback, you know, the blocking type guy. Yeah, the guy willing to get hurt because Negroes really can't take pain. As our coach here, they have to Billy Goat the linebacker, you know. But but I digress. Um, people aren't tuning in here for uh, football analysis. I hope not. Not for me. <laughs> My football analysis is shut the damn thing off and throw your TV in the trash. That that's you're just wasting your time worshiping apes. My TV downstairs is hooked up to my computer, so um, that's it, it's like a big monitor, you know, basically what it is. And while the internet is full of everything you just described, there are actually some some good. There is some good info you can get on the internet. It is a wonderful research tool if used if you, properly. Right, if you use it properly. You could also go to these um, crazy New Age websites and be sent down 50,000 rabbit holes. Alex Jones, David Icke, that, that they're just examples. I could probably list a hundred of them that, that are um, showing you elements of truth, but not naming the devil and not identifying who the people of God truly are. That they don't, you, you can't not see, yeah, see, okay. That is the that's the huge key right there, Bill. Is that some of them now do talk about Jews a little bit, but nobody nobody says that white people are God's chosen people. Nobody says that. Even though white people have created everything that's worthwhile in history, and white people have built all of the advanced societies and wonderful civilizations we know from history. I'm not saying they were perfect, but Egypt was the pinnacle of society of its time. As soon as it was overrun by niggers, it went to hell. Detroit. Ethiopia was a wonderful white society at one time. It's described by ancient classical Greek historians as being very much like their own society. And as soon as it was overrun by Negroes, it went to hell. Just like Detroit, right. That the um, There's no doubt that Cairo is a Detroit of the ancient world. The Egyptians haven't done 
anything noteworthy in in almost 3,000 years. The only good thing Egypt is, is a, a quarry for museum relics. Well, which I've actually written about on on my front page of my website. It, it's a it's a quarry for museum relics. The same thing with Greece. Greece spent 500 years under Turkish domination and Turkish rule. The Jews had a field day in Ottoman Greece, and ever since Constantinople fell in 1452-1453, Greece is worth nothing but a quarry for museum relics. When the British went into Greece in the 19th century, they grabbed everything worthwhile and brought it to the British Museum because the Greeks didn't care what to do with it at that time. No, not at all. No. So, okay, I guess my, so to wrap, or to kind of, you know, get to the main gist of everything here. Okay, so what do we see? with this battle of Gog and Magog. So we see God's people, or the white people, being flooded, you know, by Satan's people. Can the battle lines be drawn any more clearly? Well, well, I don't know how, because white people are surrounded by aliens in their own countries. And in some countries, it's not as evident. In some countries, it seems like the whites surround the aliens, but... The aliens are sure as hell going to tip the scales because the aliens are aware of what they're doing. They, these Mexicans understand La Raza. They understand that they are invading America thinking that they're going to take it back. And these Arabs, especially in Europe, on a smaller scale in America, but especially in Europe, understand these Muslims, that they're planting colonies so that they could eventually force all Europeans to convert to Islam, rape all their women, and race mix everybody. So what's the result of that? Do you think the result of that is going to be a better Germany? No. The result of that is going to be a northern Sudan or a northern Egypt. If we thought that Arabs were worth anything, why haven't they accomplished anything? In, in, in these once beautiful and, and once very fruitful lands, pick up a book and read about how ancient Persia was. And look at Iran today. Most of it, there's some Western money that has made some nice cities, but most of it's a hellhole. Iraq, the same way. 90% of it is just a desert hellhole. These people can't do anything. The Arabs hire German engineering firms and, and Swedish engineering firms to come in and build stuff in Arabia. And they could do it with oil money, but they can't do it on their own. And if we didn't buy their oil, they would have no use for that either. And they wouldn't know what to do with it. Maybe light a, a, a wick and make a lamp. That's about all they could do with it. It's about all they ever did with it. Yeah, Iraq will say, well, you, you invaded, you tore them up. Well, I mean, Europe got dismantled after World War II. Um, right. Yeah, sure, there was American money, but Europe got rebuilt pretty quick. Um, look at, look at you know, one example I saw on the Internet a year ago is look at Hiroshima. You know, it got flattened by a nuke. 
Well, well, mm-hmm. right, and, and and that was all American money that did that, and, and European investment money. But it's a beautiful city now, right? Yeah, and, and compare that to Detroit, right? Whereas Detroit, you know, it, it, basically what happened there is a million black people have replaced a, a million plus right. white people. Well, Detroit was bombed with niggers who are more destructive than nuclear weapons. Yeah, I, I was going to say the, the immediate effect, it's a million blacks is equivalent to about a 75 kiloton nuke. Absolutely. But, and if people know my work, uh, I do a lot of I do a lot of research on nuclear weapons. I spend a good chunk of my time on that. Um, so the, the blast radius I've seen it's about you know fifty to, to seventy five kilotons worth of damage in Detroit. But with the but, nuke, but the problem is that the uranium or, or whatever is radioactive in a bomb decays, and and Negroes, as long as they have welfare checks, can perpetuate themselves indefinitely. That you cannot rebuild while they're still in place. Right. So you either have to move them somewhere else or you just have to give up on it. And which is what there's open talk of just bulldozing one third of the city. Well well, you know, the end the, the end plan in scripture is that God will make a full end of all nations where the children of Israel scattered. But there's more to it than that. If you read Obadiah 15, Obadiah is a prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. And Obadiah 15 and 16 speak about this, that this is another prophecy very much like Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. What did the heathen want to do? They want to destroy Christendom. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, which is an allegory for the people of God, so shall all the heathen drink continually. They shall drink, and this is an allusion to the cup of wrath the cup of the wrath of God described in Revelation chapter 18. They shall drink continually, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. And right after that, there's a prophecy of the end of Esau. And Esau is represented today in the world by the Arabs to a small degree, and the Arabs, the word Arab actually means mixed, so they actually come from many different tribes and races, but by the Jews to a much larger degree. The Jews are demonstrably descended to a great extent from Esau and the Edomites of the Old Testament. And the house of Jacob, the true Israelites, and they were white, and they are today, and the house of the house of Jacob shall be for a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau shall be for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And and that's what we have to look forward. We owe the Jews a holocaust. They had been talking about this holocaust for 50 years now, which never happened. So we owe it to them. And when we're done, and the Jews finally had their Holocaust, we will see them all fit in one Volkswagen.
Yes, they will. How many Jews can fit in the Volkswagen? All of them. There will be none left of the House of Esau. And um, I, I was I stumbled on a web page a couple of months ago, and uh, it talks about um, you know in Jeremiah um, forty nine. And I have made Esau bare, and I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself, for his secret will come out. His seed is spoiled, you know, his offspring, um, to his brethren, uh, Jacob's descendants, and his neighbors, and he is not. So, again, Jeremiah talks about us um, taking all their possessions, and Obadiah talks about that, too. Uh, we shall possess all their possessions. And that's exactly what it says in Revelation chapter 18 when Babylon falls. It's in the opening verses, verses 4, 5, 6, 7. When Babylon falls, the children of God, the Christian people of the world, are to reward her double that she rewarded you. In other words, everything that the, that the Jews and the international merchant community are doing to white nations today, they're going to be repaid double. So we will have more than full satisfaction when this is all over. The God is not going to be mocked, and the Jew is not going to prevail. And people should think about this alone. Wherever the Jew has gone in history, he has caused nothing but war, decadence, perversion, corruption. He's been the um, the purveyor of pornography, of illicit narcotics. And, and I'm not saying that all drugs are bad, but they are, destruct they are destructful when you cater and, and pander these drugs to children basically high schoolers, you're basically destroying the moral foundation of our youth. And the Jews started that process back in the 1950s. So it, it's the Jew has waged war on, on Christian civilization, and, and it's a rather open war. It was done under the guise of... Um, organized crime. When you look at most of the mobsters all the way back to the 1920s have been Jews. They weren't really Italians. Some of them had Italian names. Dutch Schultz, the only German mobster that immediately comes to mind, was a Jew as well. They're not, they're not Italian. They're, not, they're Sicilian Jews. They yeah, weren't Jack, German. Jack Ruby was not Italian. Right. That These Jews have been waging war against our civilization, and it is what they do naturally. They gravitate naturally to this, to this position and this task. That yep. I, I don't believe there's a demon lurking in the shadows controlling Annette Cohane or Barbara Lerner Specter. These Jewesses that are preaching um, liberty, equality, and fraternity under the guise of diversity, and multiculturalism in Europe, and purposely want to, have vociferated it very clearly, that they purposely want to make Europe multicultural and non-white and cause everybody to race mix. These Jews do that naturally. It's what Jews do. 
They understand that they could be financed for doing that, for preaching that, that these banks and these global corporations are willing to fund them and back them, and they're really doing it for their own gain, and they're doing it thinking that they are doing something good. They actually believe that. It's evil to us, but to the Jew it's good. Well, they're acting in what they perceive to be their race's best interest, and you know, kind of by extension, all of humanity's best interest. Right. Because they believe it's their place to rule. Right. And, you know, anyone that spent any time reading the Talmud or the protocols, um, this sort of thing becomes rather evident. Right. And, and that's why they're idealistic about it. They do okay, it because so, it's in their nature to do it. Yeah, it's in their nature, yeah. So, okay, so... Uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog, you know, people think that's going to come after some thousand-year reign of Christ, um, and, and, and all of a sudden the the, the demon's going to come out of the pit. And okay, right. he already came out of the pit. We we covered that. Right, and then and, we and see that's based on that one line that doesn't belong in the original scriptures that, that about the resurrection. If you take that line out of there, the rest of it becomes pretty clear. And and that yeah. line is not in the oldest manuscripts. No, and anyone that so anyone that even discusses the you know Battle of Gog and Magog, some people are like, well, we don't even have to worry about that now. It's not for a thousand years yet or plus. Well, it, it's taking place right now, and all the mainstream pundits that you can find out there, they all show that you know these arrows going from China or Turkey or Iraq or Russia, it, in, invading into the outlawed state in Palestine. Which, right. Which is just complete bullshit. Right. Absolutely. Because those people are not the camp of the saints of Christ. They're not Christians. Those people were described by Christ in the Revelation as those who say they are Judeans or Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So, you know, you can't analyze world events with that that, you know, going by that, that Under philosophy. Under a false premise. It's a yeah, it's false a, it's, premise. Yep, exactly, yeah. The Jews have never been the people of the Bible. They were intruders and usurpers in Judea in the second century B.C. Herod was an Edomite. They were all Edomites. Paul of Tarsus tells us that they were Edomites. Christ tells us that they were not his sheep. You do not believe me because you're not my sheep. The mainstream churches teach they're not his sheep because they didn't believe him. That's bullshit. He told them, you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. They were not his people in the first place. The, the historian Flavius Josephus spells it out very clearly, and it's supported by other writers, such as Strabo, the Greek geographer, that the kingdom of Judea, and you can even find this on Wikipedia, if you look up the Wikipedia article for Herod Archelaus, it'll tell you that he was the tetrarch over Judea, Samaria, and Edomia, which is the ancient land of Edom. But it wasn't where it was in the Old Testament. By New Testament times, it was much further north and encompassed what we know generally as southern Israel and Judah. The Edomites moved in 
and the Maccabees forced them all to convert to Judaism. This is well recorded in history, and this is the reason for that division in the New Testament. These Edomites who took over Judea by the time of Christ were those who say they are Judeans and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The people of God accepted Christ and Christianity. The people who were still left in that area, who were still white, became Christians for the most part and lost their identity as quote-unquote Jews or Judeans. The people that rejected Christ retained Judaism, retained that identity as Judeans. They are the Jews of today, but they were the Edomites of ancient times. Yeah, they're Edomites. That's exactly it. They're not. They're not the people of God. So all, all they're the enemies any, of God. They're the traditional enemies yeah. of the people of Israel. The real people of Israel. So any anyone that's giving you analysis to where the Battle of Gog and Magog is all, all these hordes flooding into Palestine. Okay, that's they're they're extremely flawed. Have no clue. They can be disregarded. Okay. So we've got the Battle of Gog and Magog covered. Uh, we've got, um, you know, the, the the Jew coming out of the pit, Gog and Magog, and then, you know, that kind of brings us to um, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the wedding feast of the land is a, the destruction of all of the enemies of Christ, which are basically all of those foreign nations that have come against the children of Israel or the true Christians of, of the Bible and history. The wedding supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19 is describing the same thing which is described in Ezekiel chapter 39. The language of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is very similar to Revelation chapter 19. And all of the enemies of Christ, which has to include all Jews are destroyed in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Yeah, so we see Christ on a horse, and uh, he he pulls a sword out of his mouth, and he, uh, see, he then he goes forth and dispatches our enemies. Right. What, which, he, which I believe he does through his people. People, yeah. It, it's and, not going to be him actually sitting on a horse, but that... Right. In Micah chapter 4, there's a similar prophecy, which is a parallel prophecy, and you see the words, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. In Revelation chapter 18, when Babylon falls, what's that, that, that's being described in Revelation chapter 19, where it says in Revelation chapter 18, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. White people at this point, who are still joined to Jews and Negroes and the enemies of God and the Babylonian system, are going to be destroyed along with it. They're going to be suffer along with it. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And then he's telling his people that come out of her, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled to her, and in the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. And that's talking about 
the revenge of God against his enemies, which is going to be executed through his people. That's why it says in Micah chapter 4, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. That's why it says in, in the psalm you had read, I think it's Psalm 118, All yep. the nations have surrounded me, and in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. This is that surrounding that that me is a type for the body of Christ and that surrounding is being done when Satan gathers all of the enemies of God against the camp of the saints. Now there might be people that think, "Oh, Chinese people aren't the enemies of God. Oh, Africans aren't the enemies of God." You know, there's a line in scripture where I could prove that Africans that blacks are indeed the enemies of God. And if you give me like one second, I could probably find it if I could type sure. it. Sure. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I was going to say, well, we were looking that up. Um, one of the criticisms I've heard of, you know, Christian identity, gee, how can you even read that? Is the, uh, you know, it talks about at the end is, uh, you know, the race war. The land must be purged and purified of all mixed and mongrel races in order to bring in God's kingdom. Absolutely. Because God does not accept mongrels. Jesus said, I've come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he also said, every plant, and all throughout the Bible, it can be proven without doubt that plants and trees describe races. Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches, to his disciples. Plants and trees describe races. And... In the, in, in the book of Genesis, there is a tree of life, and that is the race of God. That's Christ and his people. And there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is represented by Satan, by the serpent. How do you know the serpent is Satan? You know that in Revelation chapter 12, where it tells us that the Satan and the fallen angels that were cast out of heaven, all of this is an allegory for, for events of far ancient history, were cast out of heaven, and that Satan and angels that were cast out of heaven in Revelation chapter 12, they were that old serpent from Genesis chapter 3. Christ said that I came to reveal things kept secret since the foundation of the world. So when you read Genesis, it doesn't tell you that stuff. But when you read the Revelation, it does. Because Christ came to reveal things kept secret since the foundation of the world. So if you want to understand who the serpent is of Genesis chapter 3, that represents the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's the so-called fallen angels of ancient history that corrupted the creation of God. That is where the other races come from. That is why the other races in Revelation chapter 12 are described as the flood that came out of the mouth of the serpent. That's their origin. They are mixed. They are bastards. And Christ said, every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up, because God does not create bastards. God, everything he created was good. But when you get to the New Testament, you have a bad tree that cannot produce good fruit. That's a racial message. You have bad fish in, in the parable of the 
fish in a net. The kingdom of heaven is like a fish that when cast into the sea brings up of every kind. The same word for race, genos. Every kind is every race. And the good ones, the good races of fish, the good ones, the fish from the good race, are gathered and put into vessels. But the wicked ones, they're not even thrown back in the sea, the bad ones. They're thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah, and the, and the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, right. So the servants of the householder came on and said unto him, Sir, didst, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go out and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up the wheat with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them into bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. The explanation of that parable is that the enemy was the devil. The enemy that sowed the tares was the devil. And in Genesis chapter 3, there's two trees that allegorically represent people. One tree is the tree of life, which are the people, the Adamic race, which God created. And the word Adam means ruddy, and, and that's because the word Dom means blood. And, and if you're ruddy, you, you should probably be considered an Adam, or, or a, a white Adamic man. There's a lot more proof than that. There is resounding proof in Scripture that the people of the Scripture, the people of the Bible, the protagonists of the Bible were white. And once you see that proof of, of the archaeology and the ancient history of those Genesis 10 nations, it's, it, it's beyond argument that they were all originally white. The, um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the corruption which was perpetrated by the original fallen angels who rebelled against God. The Enoch literature tells us that they sowed their, that their, um, they mixed their seed with all of God's creation. They bastardized God's creation. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Jew has been history's preeminent promoter of race mixing all throughout recorded history. And, and there's no doubt that the Jew isn't that Satan who spewed these races, that serpent who spewed these other races out of his mouth in Revelation chapter 12 in order to persecute the woman. So we have Negroes invading Egypt. The woman represents the, the white race, but more specifically, the 12 tribes of Israel. And these other races destroyed Ethiopia and Egypt. They destroyed Iraq, Iran, the entire Near East, Persia, ancient Persia, the entire Middle East, was overrun in the first millennium by Turks, by Mongols, by Arabs, by all of these non-whites. There was a great white world in the Near East 
and Middle East and North Africa, they were white until the Islamic conquests. And the Jew that spewed these other races out of his mouth, this serpent, destroyed that entire great white world. The white world that was left standing in, in the 14-1500s was a small remnant of its former self. The original white world encompassed the entire Arab and North African and Near Eastern worlds of today and extended all the way to the, to, to the borders of, of China, not modern China, but ancient China, beyond the Altai Mountains, beyond the Hindu Kush Mountains. The Indian subcontinent was nearly all white. Arab slave traders were bringing Negroes into it. That's where they came from. And, and they all race mixed, and, and the end is worse than the beginnings. But this all of Central Asia at one time consisted of white tribes, blonde-headed, blue-eyed tribes, Scythians, descendants of the ancient Persians, descendants of the ancient Israelites, descendants of the ancient Medes, that were either pushed west into Europe or became overrun and race-mixed by the Mongols and the Turks. That's where the Tatars come from. The Tatars are a remnant of those whites who are now mixed with Mongols and Turks. And, and the Jews mixed with them and, and emigrated into Europe as Ashkenazi Jews and Polish Jews. Yeah, the whole thing, it's been a war on whites from the beginning. So we've been taught to hate ourselves, uh, taught that we're bad. In the meanwhile, we're getting, you know, since since the Federal Reserve, you know, I, I started getting into white genocide last year, you know, studying it. And European man was 35% of the world's population back around 1900. And then the Federal Reserve came in and about... Yeah, what, 1913. And since then, you had World War One, World War Two, and the white population has been dwindling on the planet. We're down to 8% now. And this well, 8% well, right. population is getting completely flooded uh, by by all these other races. It's like, hey, 8% of the world's population is supposed to somehow save 92%. You know, it's it's ridiculous. They're not coming here to be saved. They're not coming. They're coming to destroy us. We're told and in Ezekiel chapter 38, Ezekiel chapter 39, Obadiah, Jeremiah chapter 30, Jeremiah 46, Revelation chapter 19, um, Micah chapter 4. We're told in all these chapters that these other races are being brought here by the glory of God so that they could all be destroyed so that white people could learn once and for all that they're God's people and that God has chosen them to save them. And the Jews are going to be destroyed along with them. And, and yeah, Matthew 24, For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should, should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For the elect's sake, because Save. nobody else is going to be saved. And, and white no. people have to get over this. Let me tell you something. I worked with Negroes and was in prison with Negroes for 25 years of my life. I don't care how much you think they're good to you. They hate you. They use you. They want to devour you and get everything they can out of you. And as soon as you draw a line 
They will seek to kill you because they do not understand lines. They do not understand boundaries. The other races, these Mexicans, they don't respect our borders because they don't understand the concept of national sovereignty, of national boundaries. They don't understand the concept of racial purity and racial racial um they, they I'm, don't I'm sorry, um, yeah. I lost my adjective racial integrity they only want to eat and screw everything they could get their hands on and that's all they care about they are bastards they these mexicans are actually jews mixed with blacks and indians and they themselves are bastards. They cannot understand purity. They do not understand law. Negroes, Mexicans, Chinese, um, East Asian Indians do not understand the rule of law. All of this Black Lives Matter bullshit is all about breaking down the system so that Negroes can get away with anything they want to do and not be prosecuted by cops. In the 60s and 70s, man, and I have it in dictionaries, in actual printed dictionaries, Man, with a capital M, was a reference to white society. And Negroes used to say, the man is coming, because they understood that law was upheld by white men. So they that so the cops became a synonym for the man. And the law is a product of white society. And the Negro understands that. The only law in the Negro's heart is the law of the jungle. The only law in a white man's heart is the law of God if he decides to follow it. <laughs> the white man, if he's carnal-minded, can descend to the level of the law of the jungle, but the Negro can never aspire to the level of the law of God. The Negroes no. hate the law of God. They hate the idea, they, the concept of law. They despise it. You tell a Negro that it's not right to shoplift, the Negro don't care about that. If he sees something he can shoplift, he has no bad conscience over that. Every Negro I ever saw in prison or in a court that was convicted and was sent to prison only had remorse because he got caught. Not for what he did. They, I don't care if he raped a white baby and killed it. They have no remorse for what they've done. They only have remorse because they got caught. That's more or less it. Um, and the, one, one point I want to make is that, you know, all these enemies that, you know, these hordes of Gog and Magog, these are... You know, as easy it is to sit here and say, hey, you know, I hate Jews, I hate niggers, whatever. That's kind of the typical white nationalist line. Hey, you know, Jews and niggers suck. Okay, well, you know, that, that's a fairly low to midland level of understanding. Um, the true understanding, I think, is when you realize that, hey, because it, it's what's really going on is on this planet is the relationship between white people and our God. And because we've disobeyed him, our enemies have multiplied and multiplied right. and multiplied. That is now, why we have Joel and, and the, the, the prophecy of sending in among us. The Bible says, 
my great armies which I sent among you, the caterpillars, the locusts, the, the, the pommel worms, and the canker worms. They are here to punish us. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, I mean, okay, the, you know, the Negro is what he is. The Jew is what he is. They wouldn't have any power at all. Right. If we, if we took care of business. Right. If we did not have sin and, and, and did not engage in idolatry. And, and there's all kinds of idolatry people engage in. They don't even realize it's idolatry. That they don't even know it because they've been brought up to think that it's normal. Okay. I knew a guy once. He was a, he, he was a quote-unquote good guy, right? He lived across the street from me. And I knew him for um, 20 years and in, in um, Bayonne, New Jersey. And he would be out there every Saturday. He had a real nice Chevy Camaro. It was in perfect condition. It was like 10, 12 years old. And he'd be out there every Saturday polishing the whole thing. And, and going around the rims with a toothbrush, right? And, and, and sort of like micro-detailing it, getting every speck of lint off the seats and the whole deal. He'd spend eight hours on that sports car, I'd say two or three Saturdays a month, and he'd drive it around for two, three hours, and he'd put it back in his driveway and put the cover back on it and, and go to work on, on Monday or go to church and watch football all day on Sunday. Well, while he is spending eight hours a Saturday with his sports car, his kids are off in the yard playing with themselves. That's idolatry. Yeah. You're spending more time on the sports car than you are. And the hell with the kids. Yeah, the, yeah, the kids, which is what's really important, the next generation. And, and that's just one example, but he should have spent that time with his sons teaching them a craft or a trade or woodworking or auto mechanics or anything. But he'd spend it detailing his stupid sports car, which was basically an idol. And and that's just one example of a type of idolatry that many of us have, but most of us that have it don't even have a concept that it's idolatry. You know, so as, as people can can take a look, a long hard look at themselves, you know, it's easy to cast the first stone. You know, I, I say, well, look, look in the mirror, you know, because of all the short, look at everything you've done. Right. You know, you've how much money have you spent on sports over the years? How much money have you spent, you know, at the strip club? How much Absolutely. money have you, you know, how much money have you spent on illegal drugs? You know, and the how much time? Women. Yeah, right. go ahead. Right, the worship of women is another form of idolatry, and that's even more dangerous because it leads to feminism. It leads to Gloria Steinem, you know, CIA yeah, right. too. Absolutely. And, you know, again, but these people wouldn't have power if if we weren't so imperfect. Right. Our you know, our our shortcomings manifest themselves as Jews and blacks and Asians, and they flood us. Well, what's really flooding white society? It's our own sin and our own shortcomings. And that's described in Deuteronomy, in the blessings of obedience and curses of disobedience, in Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and people should read that. And, and, and one of the results of the 
Well, one of the curses of disobedience is that strangers will have your sons and your daughters, and you will stand by powerless and not be able to do a damn thing about it. And that's exactly what's happening in America today. And that's just that's one example. All those example, all of those curses are there. That's just one um, clear example that we see among us today. It's right in front I mean, of our faces. I mean, we're we're not supposed to. These people are not supposed to live with us. And no. yet, you know, here we are. We're, we're we've fallen for multiculturalism and not being racist. Well. Liberty, fraternity, equality. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it just on a simple biological level, say you want to preserve white people, say that that's your goal. Well, in order to do that, you just look at it from a simple biological perspective. White plus white equals white. White plus non-white equals non-white. And never white again. Yep, you can't get that back. It's gone forever. And look so, at every non-white, formerly white nation, and, and the level of civilization it has now compared to the level it had at one time. It, it descended rapidly, and we've, we've been victimized. And, and there, there's a reason why segregation was in place in the South, and it's been demonized in, in the Jewish media. But segregation is really about preserving white people. School integration was all about destroying our people. Absolutely. Busing was about destroying our people. And that was Richard Nixon, the conservative Republican candidate that forced busing. I remember the busing riots. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in Jersey City. There were no busing riots in Jersey City, but we heard about them every morning on the news in certain towns in Pennsylvania and especially in Boston, Massachusetts. So, and, and, and who is, who is there to demonize people that say, hey, white people should have their own communities. We should have our own states. We should have our own nations. I mean, you've got the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the NAACP. You know, these are all Jew-run organizations, all anti-white, Jew-run organizations. Yeah, you know, racism, racism is love of your own people. Without hate, you cannot love your own people because hate is the method by which you defend what you love. And to me, racism is a willingness to defend my people, my kindred, and God's creation where diversity, multiculturalism, um, miscegenation, which is race mixing, are all methods by which God's creation and my people and my kindred are destroyed and become something which God did not design. Because fornication is race mixing, and fornication is a sin. Several times mentioned in the New Testament, so I'm so, never going to be ashamed yeah. of being a racist. I'm proud to be a racist. I don't, that these little Marxist Jew words, that they don't scare me. Their labels don't scare me. I'm going to look them in the face and stand up for what is right and what is Christian in spite of their labels. Exactly. And so, okay, so what is truth? Okay, so as we 
you know, as I've journeyed through the so-called, you know, truth movement, you know, through JFK and 9-11 research, okay, it's pretty easy to figure out that, okay, almost all of this diabolical stuff going on in the world is brought to you by, you know, courtesy of the international Jew. Okay, again, you know, that that's kind of a medium level of understanding in life. Okay, so that's one thing. So who are the bad guys? Well, the Jews and their henchmen, which are basically all the other races. But what nobody in the truth movement talks about is, or very, very few people, is that indeed the white race is God's chosen people. And this is why these Edomite Jewish devils have tried so hard to steal our identity. Yeah, you know, Christ said, by their fruits you know them. Look at what whites have been able to do and create when they were Christian nations and homogenous Christian nations. Yeah, look at the things we've invented. You know, I mean, the, the personal computer, the, you know, the the transistor, uh, the light bulb, the, the electricity. The, 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 the missile. It, it's it's yeah. endless, the list. Airplanes, um, automobiles. Roads, skyscrapers, all this stuff is all white technology. You can't, you know, like I, I've heard this, you know, so-called black nationalist people, that, that you can't have a black nationalist because they can't build a nation. They can't farm. They can't, they don't do construction projects. They don't build infrastructure. How, how do all these sewer lines get get put into place? Where do these sewage treatment plants come from? Negroes soak themselves in urine to repel bugs. That, that, they do much more disgusting things than that, but that's one of the um, things I could say to a more general audience. So, I mean, we've we've raised... The level of civilization of the African was basically zilch. You know, basically a hunting, hunter-gatherer type tribal existence, Okay. What, what would the what would the population of Africa be just naturally on its own if those people were? Um, well, well, there was Ethiopian to... famine. There was Ethiopian famine and famine in Sudan and and in the seventies and and I think back to the sixties and the population was really pretty small. And then we had an explosion of food aid that went on for about twenty years. And the population grew huge. And what were the emigration from there and the wars that we're experiencing there in the 90s and, and the O's in the last 20 years are a result of our artificial magnification of their population where it quintupled in 20, 30 years because of United Nations food aid programs. Yeah, there's supposed to be I think in the next hundred years there's going to be two billion Africans. That's the projection. Now, I, there's no way that, there's no way that can happen. Yeah, but if, if things kept going the way they were, that that's it. So if you're somebody that says, "Hey, I don't like black people," well, you have exploded their population way above what it naturally would have been. And where are these hordes coming from? Well, they're coming from your food aid. You know, we're not supposed to have anything to do with these people. But here we are, uh, you know, feeding them, clothing them, you know, like you say, you know, in a lot of cases, worshiping them. And, and now here they are at the gate. You know, they're flooding into Germany, you know, Dresden, 
Munich. I mean, it's all getting overrun. Paris, London. No doubt, and, and it's going to continue. That's the that this the only thing that explains this is Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, Revelation chapter twenty. These books were written thousands of years ago, and yet here it is playing out right in front of your face. Why else would what's supposed to be the greatest civilization the world has ever known, modern Christian civilization, why else would it destroy itself in civil wars, which World War I and World War II, they were basically civil wars in the sense that they were a part of a race with a similar or the same religion fighting against itself, a part of a culture fighting against itself and destroying itself. Why else would they do that if it weren't for the fact that the Jews that put them up to it truly are the devil? And why else would the highest civilization on a planet readily accept millions of backwards ingrates who only recently crawled out of a camel's ass and have never engaged themselves to build a civil society who still have a um, a backwards 6th century desert sand flea religion that allows them to doodle little boys have sex with goats and enslave women from childhood and, and wrap them up in, in, in potato sacks and keep them there for the rest of their lives. How could these people be invited by the millions who have never engaged in a civil society into the quote-unquote highest or, or most advanced societies and be welcome to destroy them if it weren't for the fact that Satan has gone out to deceive the nations, as it says in Revelation chapter 20. How are we the supposedly most advanced society that's ever been upon the earth? How are we totally deceived by these Jews into this cultural and racial suicide if they are not Satan who has gone out to deceive the earth? That's exactly it. And we've we have uh, joined ourselves to the beast. So there's no, at this point, there is no separation between us and the Jew, okay, for all practical purposes. Now, eventually, that's gonna, there's going to be a separation there, okay, and that's when you talk about the financial collapse. I think that that's when it's going to take place. But that's going to be, you know, that is not going to be without some pain, folks. It's going to be like taking, I mean, you talk about ripping the Band-Aid off. I mean, this one's going to hurt. Absolutely. And Satan it, is not going to give up control. Easily. Ballot box. Anybody that no. thinks that is absolutely deluded. You're not going to beat the Jews at the ballot box. Hey. Wow. We're not going to take a vote and say, hey, are we, are we tired of Satan running the country? No. Right. So it, it, there's some very painful times ahead. Now, once this is over with, okay, so I'm not a guy that, I, you know, as funny as this may sound, I don't actually hate Jews because I know how bad it's going to turn out for them. And they know it, too. That This is why they this Holocaust myth, they just moved it up a few years so they could get their uh, 
Well, um, well, you know, they could get they could I'm get sorry. their patch of land out there in, in Palestine. Well, when you're a pioneer and, and you have a sheepfold and, and a cabin, and you look out the window at night and you see wolves trying to jump the fence into the seat in, in yeah. the sheepfold, you shoot the wolves. You yeah. don't necessarily hate the wolves. The wolves are only performing the function that they were created for, right? By eating, exactly. by devouring the, the weakest things they could grab onto. But you want to defend the sheep. So yeah, in order to exactly. defend the sheep, yeah, you, have, you yeah. have to kill the wolves. It's it's part of your duty. Now, yeah, it's not something that I'm like, oh, hey, this is great. I can't wait. To, I'm, you know, I'm just in this big bloodlust, you know. What, when a hey, Negro, I, I'm sorry, when a Negro walks down the street in suburban New Jersey and, and kills and rapes a young white girl, 12 years old, and stuffs her into a dumpster, that is only the inevitable result of letting one of those wolves jump the fence into the sheepfold. Exactly. So you have to do your job and maintain order, and that's going to happen. I mean, we are going to be a separate and holy people. Right. And see, that, that's and, the part of the truth movement you don't hear, is that white people actually are the children when, of God. When there's a wolf in a sheepfold, the rancher that has any common sense doesn't wait until one of the sheep are eaten to shoot the wolf. They shoot the wolf on sight, knowing that the sheep are going to be eaten if they don't. So, if you see one wolf, there's a, you know there's a bunch you're not seeing. This idea that we could allow blacks to roam through white communities and and that they're not going to hurt us is tantamount to opening the gate before you go to bed at night, so that the wolves don't have to tab the trouble to. Take the trouble of hopping the fence to devour the sheep. Just open a gate so that they could get in and get all the sheep they want. That's what yeah, we. That's what we've done. If, if living with blacks was was so great, you know, why are twenty to thirty thousand white women a year getting raped by them? It's right, and, and the, the old fallback is how many white guys rape, rape black women, and and that's just it's, it's like zero. Like, yeah, right. Statistically, it's zero. You know, it, it, even the FBI cook numbers will have it statistically at zero. Well, when you understand that ancient Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba were great white societies, great white nations at one time, and you read Isaiah chapter 43, verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Now, Isaiah is writing this about 740. B.C., 720 B.C., in there. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, and Ethiopia and Sheba for thee. You know, these were great white nations that had threatened the children of Israel. And God gave them up for the benefit of the children of Israel. And right around Isaiah's time, they were overrun by Negroes. Now, who did God give these white nations up to? His friends or his enemies? Well, he doesn't have any friends. They have to be his enemies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Negroes are, that's only one scripture, but the Negroes are the people to whom God gave up Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba. And look at them today. Have they ever been um, any... (laughs) 
decently cultured, civilized society that's grown and, and went on to do great things since then? No. They've only decayed slowly and surely into the pits of hell. No doubt. Yep. So, uh, okay, so I guess the end times, you know, I think we can we can see it. You know, Bill and I don't have a crystal ball here, and we, we can't say, hey, on, you know, October 17th, you know, such and such year, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But, I mean, I think you can get a general outline here of what lies ahead. We can uh, have an outlook that, that we should have an outlook if we really cared about our society, our people, and, and received this information. We should want to check it out to see if it's true. All the details are at my website. I mean, I've talked about these things at great length with, yep. with, with, um, copious, I pray, copious citations from archaeology, ancient history, um, classical histories. It, it's, it's all there in the details. And once you take this this outlook on Scripture and assimilate it into your outlook on history and what's going around us on what what's going around on around us in the world today, there's no other truth. This has to be it. That's that's exactly it. That's when I heard your stuff. I'm like, oh wait a minute, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then I went out. And I had already been doing years of research on the way the world really worked, not the way, you know, Joel Olstein or John Hagee portrays it to work. Yeah, they're just devils deceiving people. Yeah, and, and a lot of people fall for that, and they look at it superficially. They they don't know who was really behind 9-11. They don't know who took out JFK. They don't know who bombed Oklahoma City. Or, or, they don't know who is behind World War One or, or behind World War Two or Marxism or the list is endless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, most people that they, they just they think these things somehow happen and then they stopped and then somehow they started again and then somehow well, well, we stopped Jewry, it but then it popped up again. The Bible makes it very clear that Jewry is Satan and Jewry is the world's oldest crime ring. There should be no doubt. Anybody who understands history should be able to figure that out. Yeah. So, so, you know, my 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 what I've been getting at in this last show here is that you've got a, a the two sides of the truth. You know, the coin of truth are that Jews are bad, and we're the good guys. But now, are we right. perfect? And, and all the other races are on the Jew side. But yeah, you know, no, we're not perfect. The Adamic man has two natures. We are the only race with two natures. All of the other races are strictly carnal. I don't care if you could look at some sand nigger swami and imagine him to be spiritual. He's not really spiritual, not from the perspective of God. God's law is spiritual. The Adamic man is spiritual. Only Adamic man, the white man, has the capability to build civilizations based on truly just and moral law and to preserve and grow those civilizations into wonderful societies. Only the white man has ever done that. If you want to see how the Indians are really spiritual, go to ChinaSmack.com and check 
out all those pictures of the Indians in the Ganges River having their little religious rituals in the middle of corpses and cadavers of people and goats and, and all the filth and disgust and the sewerage and then tell me those people are spiritual. That That's just crazy. The white race is the only race that can be morally spiritual and build great civilizations founded on the concepts of righteousness and justice and the rule of law where the other races are strictly carnal. But the white man has a carnal side to him that when he follows that carnal side, and this is, Paul describes this at length in in Romans, Romans chapter 7, chapter 8, and again in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he describes this at length. When we follow the carnal side, we're no better than niggers. We're no better than niggers. So it, it's we can do bad, but we are the only race that has the ability to, quote-unquote, aspire to the stars, right? To aspire to the kingdom of heaven. Yes, see, and that's why, and the the, the high end Jews know all of this. Yes, this they is, do. That's why they want to destroy us. And see, that's really how I got here. Was I started studying Jews, and I figured out that oh wait a minute, these guys are frauds. They're ripping us off. They're not God's chosen people. We are, and they are trying to steal our thunder to subjugate us and and, and deceive it, us. It's part of the deception. And it's worked so far to a charm. Now, eventually, as we see it in Scripture here, this is going to turn around, and it's it's going to turn around in relatively short order once it starts happening. Um, you know, already now, people in England, uh, you know, the U.K. now did vote for Brexit. Now, will it actually happen? Will they actually get out of the club? But at least there's a sign of life there. Right. There's a slight sign of white nationalist survival instinct. Yeah, it's starting to creep into the into the consciousness of white people. Even you know the the anti racists um, and the anti white white people are starting to figure out that it doesn't matter if you're liberal. It doesn't matter if you voted for the Civil Rights Act, or it doesn't matter if you march in a Black Lives Matter. March. They still hate you. Yes, they do. And why? Because the Jews know that we have the birthright and that they don't, and they've been trying to steal it for thousands of years. And they're not going to get it no matter how many no matter how many of us they starve, no matter how many of us they kill, um, no matter how many they intimidate, whatever, nope. they're not going to get it. The Jetsons is prophetic. All you saw was white people. <laughs> the yeah. future is bright. <laughs> See, that's, that is it. See, that is the thing. When, when it's all said and done, we're the only race for the future. And that's the truth. That's the word of God. Exactly. And he's yeah, not going to be mocked. He, he's, you know, Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler understood, and he said it in Mein Kampf, that the Adamic man was the, the, the man created in Bible, which he identified as correctly as the white man, was the pinnacle of God's creation. And anyone who lifts up a hand against it is doing the work of the devil. Hitler said that almost exactly in those words. It's on my 
Mineconf Project website, and and um, I actually have a, a podcast, a series of podcasts that that are based around statements like that made by Hitler, which proves from the pages of his own writing, not from table talk because that's just Jewish propaganda, which proves from the pages of his own recognized writing that he was indeed a Christian, that National Socialist Germany was founded on Christian principles. It was the last Christian crusade, and the Jews had to destroy it in order to gain world domination. They had to destroy not only Tsarist Russia, which was actually a um, very Christian and forward-looking society, but also Adolf Hitler's Germany, because it was it stood in opposition to Jewish world domination. Yeah, anything that stood in their way of domination has been crushed, but that is going to stop. Um, and you know, is it going to happen next week? Yeah, probably not. But we're we're starting to see some signs of life. So I guess what do people have to look forward to here? You know, I, I think in the next few years, um, you're going to see a massive financial collapse, and then you're going to see a brutal race war break out. Right on the it, heels of that. When there's a financial collapse, when Babylon falls, people yeah. are going to have to get tribal, and if they don't realize it, then they're not coming out of her, my people. When they cling to these other races. When the wolves vote on what's going to be on the dinner menu, the sheep are number one. <laughs> yeah, there and we're no the sheep. Doubt. We're the sheep. <laughs> there is no doubt you will be devoured. And and that that is what's coming. Um, maybe to leave people on a, a maybe more of a an up note because we've had a lot of. A lot of doom and gloom talk here, so it I is going to be ugly. I think that's it, it is the up note. <laughs> it, it is going to be ugly, and it is going to be uh, a bloodbath. Um, in seven months, will the children of Israel be burying of them? Yes, which might be two hundred and ten prophetic years. Those years are, are those days in scripture in prophecy stand for a year. So that seven months is really 210 years. But if you think about it, how long is it going to take to clean up Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, Cleveland, Youngstown, Newark? How long is it going to take to clean this mess up that these Jews have created in, in our white nations? It might take 210 years to bury them all. Fix the mess, yeah. And so so when when do you see... Christ returning, and then what? What? How do you see life under I that? Can't, I, I can't. Yeah, you know there are um, visions in the prophets of the return yeah. of Christ and his setting his tabernacle amongst his people and walking among them once again. But I can't read those prophecies and see the future. You, you no. know, some of the return of Christ, like Revelation chapter nineteen, it could be literal or it could be allegorical. And, and the way I read um, the similar visions earlier in the Revelation, I lean towards the allegorical, that Christ is the awakening to Christian truth that leads his people in victory against these satanic Jews. And we shall beat into pieces many people. Right. I, I, I will make them a new sharp threshing 
tool, and, and they shall beat in pieces many people. Exactly. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. We didn't imagine the world going down like this, but this is what, see, it's, the evidence is all around you. You know, you don't have to believe me or Bill. You just need to go outside, you know, walk down, you know, if you have a car, leave it in the, you know, leave it in the driveway, leave it in the garage, walk down the street, go to a bus stop, get on a bus and go downtown, you know, in whatever city you're in. And then take the bus back. Right. All these liberals who think that these other races are just wonderful. I, I don't see them walking around the, the streets of Jersey City at 3 a.m. And, into black neighborhoods and, and trying to help these poor, downtrodden black people. I mean, I don't it's, see them doing that. I, maybe I'm so just missing it. It's... You know, I don't think any of this stuff is like 50 years in the future. I, I don't see how much longer a, a financial system – could they prop it up for 20 years? You know, it's possible. You know, but in order to do that, there has to be at some point, there has to be productive people working, producing wealth in order for some other group to steal it. You know, right. at a certain – you know, at, at a certain point, I don't see enough white people being around – to to prop this up for for too much longer. I guess that's how I see it. Yeah, you know, we get, white people today. I'm sorry for cutting you off. White people oh, go today. Ahead. Look at the look look at the typical white kid today, and what you see is a kid that's lost in fantasy movies, television, fantasy video games. Lost in that. And they go to college and they go through the motions, some of them. They graduate. In those fantasies and those video games, they stay there. They don't care to get married. They don't care to raise children. They want to lounge around playing video games. And they want to stay children until they're well into their 40s and 50s even. I, I don't know if they're ever going to grow up. So I don't know with economics, a lot of white people can't afford to start a family. Well, well, that's true too, because the taxes are incredible, and and the, the um that their grandparents' estates have been consumed by taxes and their parents, and and there's nothing left, right? And, and working today, entering into the workplace. You're competing with all sorts of aliens that are willing to work for half of what you work for, and, and it, it, they live like cockroaches. It's hard to compete. It's impossible to compete. We weren't built to compete with cockroaches in, in an economic situation. Chinese and, and East Indian Asians and Mexicans are willing to live like cockroaches. Forty in a, you get a five room apartment in Chinatown, and there's forty people living in it. Yeah, I mean, Mexicans have what seven, eight, nine, ten people in a house. In, in a single wide, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're not even houses. It, it's we can't compete economically with that. That's why that that's why this globalism is pushing down the um, living standards of Western societies, of Western I mean, nations. 
I've seen estimates where the Federal Reserve has reduced our standard of living by 50%. I'm surprised it's only 50%. Yeah, that was, that was, I saw those numbers maybe 10 years ago, so that, you know, it's probably worse than that now. Right. And it, it's not going to get any better until the whole thing falls apart, so I guess my constraint on it would be the collapse will come when you, you can't prop up even with parlor tricks, the system anymore. At some point, I mean, what's the what's the real unemployment rate in this country? You know, then what's the underemployment rate? And how many people are getting completely, uh, you know, underpaid, ripped off, laid off, outsourced? I mean, eventually they're going to consume us, and it's going to fall down. So. I guess however long you think it's going to take for that, that's when the collapse will come. That's when Babylon will fall. Well, well the sooner it happens, we'll all, the better off we'll all be, but who knows? I, I don't have that looking glass. Neither do I. I, I mean, I, if, if Bill Fink and Don Fox could push a button and, and kick it off, we probably would just to get this thing over with, you know, but... The people of God have to have to be reduced to a level where they wake up to the problem and repent of their sins and become repentant. The scripture demands that situation before there's any remedy. So at what point is the average blue collar worker going to realize that his football, his six pack and his niggers aren't what life is about? Yeah, so how, how, how much longer is it going to be until that happens? Um, or until these when, Judeo-Christians actually realize that they've been worshiping the Jews instead of Jesus. Now, there, there's more Jew awareness now in society than there has been, but there's still plenty of people that have their head up their butt. I mean, knowing the Jewish question, that's step one. But step two is figuring out who you are and then acting accordingly. Right. And it's the acting accordingly part that's the important part. We don't get anywhere until that happens. Yeah, so that's where we're at. Well, the details are in about 640 podcasts on Christogenia. I think that's the latest count. I'm sorry, I can't. Get it all into one podcast. Yes. No, we. I think. I think we've done a really good job here at, at, at sketching an outline of what's happened, what's to come. You know, what, what's the future of our people? Um, the near-term future is pretty bleak, uh, but the long-term future is is outstanding. Well, I just pray. I just pray that people hear this and and um, it entices them to go and read my work on a revelation or my work on um, the minor prophets. I have a prop a series on the book of Amos that proves through all kinds of archaeological inscriptions everything cited without doubt from the Egyptians, from the Moabites, from the Sumerians, from not not the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, from the Syrians, from the Babylonians, from the Persians, all these nations that the Old Testament the Old Testament history of the kingdom of Israel and Judah is one hundred percent reliable the way it is in the Bible. 
So little things like that, it, it's little things like that, when you take a whole bunch of those little building blocks and put them together, you could actually start to see the big picture that all of this is true, but you have to mire through, you, you have to mire, you have to wallow in the mire to get through all of the little details, and it adds up to something big, and it changes your entire worldview. Yep, I mean, we're we're seeing the Battle of Gog and Magog now, so we have to be getting, I mean, that's a pretty epic battle, um, in in the whole scheme of things, and you well, have to right. wonder how much is how how long can we flood our countries and still have anything left? You know, right. how long can how long can Germany prop up this level of invasion? How how many how many invasion centers can you build in Germany? You know, before before Germany collapsed. I mean, and Bundesbank is in worse shape than the American banks I was talking about. You know, it could well be that. You know, Deutsche—I mean, Deutsche Bank—could uh, collapse, and that kicks the whole thing off. I mean, is Europe in worse shape than the United States is financially? Well, if it's not now, it, it will be soon. Well, well right, but who really knows? Because they just print yeah. all the money, and and they got you thinking it's worth something, and none of it's worth anything. <laughs> well, it, like 2007 kind of came out of the blue. Uh, you know, people in the new in the know knew what was coming, but the general public just woke up one day and hey, the market's down, the market's down, and it kept tanking and tanking and tanking and tanking. Right. And I, I, at I, I have a friend here in Florida that he he lost seven properties. He he thought he was set for life. He lost seven properties with the 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 um. The real estate crash of 2007, 2008. And there's a bigger crash coming. You know, it's just when is it going to hit, come here and, you know, when is it all going down? Um, well, it's, it's coming soon. Um, it's going to happen. I don't know exactly when. So all you can do now is uh, prepare yourself mentally, um, you know, try to save up. You know, get some food, water, you know, get yourself right with God. Well, I don't know if I could say any more or if I should. Yeah, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. You know, I mean, what are the what are the two most important commandments? The, the two most God? important commandments is honor your, well, God comes first, and then yep. your parents. And, and that's a racial commandment. You know, Paul tells people that they have to... Um, Honor their parents. How? By raising faithful children. It, it's you're not honoring your parents marrying a Mexican or a Chink. No, not at all. So, um, I think with that, um, this is going to be the uh, end of our uh, series on the end times. Uh, I want to thank Bill, uh, Bill Fink from Christogenia.org. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know from Besides my blog, I'm at I'm Donald Fox. You can find me at donaldfox.wordpress.com. Um, there's a donate button there. Uh, I'm just barely scraping by, check to check. You know, a couple shekels here and there don't hurt. You know, obviously we all my info comes out for free. Um, but you know, if you if you feel it in your heart that hey, I'd, I wouldn't mind helping this guy that's you know kind of struggling. You know, five, ten, fifteen bucks here and there doesn't hurt. 
and Phil's got some CDs and T-shirts you, you can buy and support him. Um, you know, I'm working two jobs. You know, I've got food. You know, I'm not going to starve, but, you know, a couple of shekels here and there would, would not suck. <laughs> Pays your bills. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I'm not looking to get rich on this. And, you know, talking about this stuff, there, you, you don't make any money at it. But, you know, it, it's it's to get the word out and hopefully, uh, you know, do some good and you know, straighten some people out. Maybe clear up some of the confusion, I guess, is what, what the objective here is. If I wanted to get rich, I'd be a Baptist preacher. And, and, it's not a bad way to go. You know, teach well. that the Jews are God's chosen people and, and that it's okay to marry niggers. Same-sex marriage is good. Yeah, uh, right. It's crazy. Race, race mixing is good. I mean, look at how the generate this whole thing has become. So, you know, how much farther can it fall, I guess, is would be your would be the answer to your question of when. So uh with that I wanna I wanna thank everybody for hanging in there with us. And uh any any final thoughts there, Bill? Nah, I'm 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 done. I'm a turkey. I'm <laughs> yeah, done. me too. So uh thanks for listening everybody. Uh this was this is uh part four of four on uh, look at the end times. And I, I will have, uh, there'll be more interviews coming up in the future, but I might be taking a little break here to, uh, take care of some personal things in life. And, you know, I work two jobs and, uh, sometimes a guy just needs a breather from some of this, but, uh, expect more stuff, you know, especially 9-11. We've got some 9-11 articles in the hopper. Um, I know I've got most of my fan base is here for 9-11, so, um, if you're not, there are some kick-ass 9-11 articles in the hopper, and they will be coming out soon. Well, you know, so, 9-11 was 7,000 years in the making. Oh, yeah. It certainly was. And, you know, I, I've got a I've got a post up there now that talks about, um, you know, most of the Jews that were involved in it. Well, there's a couple we haven't talked about yet, and uh, they'll be coming out. You know, there'll be more to say on that. Uh, very soon here. Well, thank you, Don. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Bill. And with that, uh, uh, good night and God bless everyone.